Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, uh, this is me, Chris McGlaid. Tickets are on sale for my critically acclaimed show, Forgiveness, at the iconic 100 Club on Oxford Street in London. How can you write a comedy show about the murder of your father? Well, Chris McGlade, the northern comedian, has with his critically acclaimed show, Forgiveness, at the 100 Club on Oxford Street, October the 12th. Tickets at billetto.co.uk or at the 100 Club. Chris McGlade, Forgiveness. Come down and see the show. Thanks very much. From the people who turned a niche Scottish football podcast into a critically acclaimed TV show on the BBC. It's Review from the Terrace, a pop culture podcast network. Hello and welcome to the Still Game podcast. My name is Bethany Tennick. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Scottish Rewatchable. Hello and welcome to Review from the Turnbuckle. Debating the best in movies, iconic TV shows, classic albums, peak era wrestling and so much more. Some intern got fired for that. Like, <laughs> like Jared! And what would you have done? <laughs> Loved it. What a moment. What a moment. Review from the the Terrace brings together a collection of professionals, pals, misfits and special guest interviews. The one and only Ewan Angus. Big G Telfer. Director of Still Games, Michael Hines. That's Review from the Terrace, a newly created podcast network with at least two shows dropping every week. Hi, neighbour. Good to see you, man. Good to see you, man. It's been a long time, man. <laughs> Many people will say it's the biggest moment in the history of this. It's about 35. <laughs> <laughs> Find us on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Chelsea Podcast. This week's episode comes from me, Andy Saunders, and my uh, guest, Gary Hayes. Gary, you seem to be on here a lot now. You seem to have wormed your way back into the podcast. How does that feel to be back on the team? Regular guest. I feel wanted again. I feel like I've been brought in from the cold. Well, you're a bit like Victor Moses, aren't you? We sent you out on a lot of loans, <laughs> and then we've, we've brought you back, and we're playing you out of position, but you might win us the league. 
Well, imagine that. Yeah. How are you? All right? Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Yourself? I'm all right. Listen, let's start by talking about a piece that you wrote in the Chelsea programme this weekend for the Villa game. You wrote a piece about Sean Locke, didn't you? Tell us about that. Did you take part in the applause? Uh, well, I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then somebody next to me told me that it was an applause for Sean. So I did after that, but I, yeah. I, wasn't, I wasn't aware of it. I, it. It didn't come across my radar that they it, were doing that. But I heard a lot of people clapping and I said to someone, what's all that about? And they said, they're clapping for Sean Locke. So I clapped along. It was, it was really badly communicated because mm. the club didn't necessarily put it out themselves uh, that it was happening. It was left to a lot of fans to do it. And I think that if, if you don't follow certain fans on your social media, then you're not going to see it, right? So um, yeah. it was a little bit yeah, badly um, uh, communicated. But yeah, I, I wrote this piece um, with, with Johnny Vaughan. Um, about cause I, people who Johnny Vaughan is. Who, who, who well, yeah, so if you is. don't know Johnny Vaughan, Johnny Vaughan is a TV personality and radio presenter in the UK. Um, I guess his biggest gig was The Big Breakfast, right, in the 90s. And he was a bit mm. of a star, wasn't he? And, um, Went he, on he's to done, a lot of radio, didn't he? Yeah, he does Radio X now. Um, right. But um, I, I, I do this feature uh, called Tell Us About Chelsea, which was new to the programme this season. So the first one we did um, was with Paul Canneville just to talk about what Chelsea was like for him when he first signed. Uh, you know, Because not many people know this, but Canners was a Leeds fan growing up because when he watched black and white TV, the white kit stood out. So he just really liked Leeds. And then obviously that rivalry between Chelsea and Leeds, and he ended up signing for Chelsea. So we did this feature about being an opposition fan and then going to play for the team that your team hated. Um, just to get an idea of what it was like for him, aside from obviously all the other stuff that he's he's very well known for, which is a bit of a stain on Chelsea's history, right? Mm. Um, so that that features rolling throughout the season, just trying to get this idea. Is something I talk about so much is culture at a football club. What does it mean to support a team from playing for them, um, from going to watch it with your brothers? And Chelsea wanted to do a tribute to Sean somehow, so we basically got Johnny to do this, and um, it's just a great little piece that I put, I put up the opening spread to it um, on Friday just to promote the fact it was in there so people could could read a little bit of it and see it. I think the club are going to put it online as well. I think I'm, I'm led to believe, but don't hold so me what to are, that. What are the highlights from it, Gary? It's, it's just a, a lovely piece about two mates going to watch Chelsea. Doesn't matter that they're famous. Doesn't matter that you know they're, they're known personalities to people. It's just a piece about what it's like to go and watch Chelsea as a fan with one of your best mates. And it's basically the, the opening line that Johnny put in there was, um, I would never have been friends with Sean had I not supported Chelsea. And I, I just laughed when he was telling me, because I was like, that's exactly the same as me. There's so many people that, like one of my best mates, Ed, who listens to this podcast, he, he used to work with me. And for about two or three weeks, I thought he was a dickhead until we were working late one night. And I just said to him, who do you support? And I had him down. I was like, Arsenal or some, someone shit like that. And he was like, oh, I'm Chelsea. After that, we've been best mates. <laughs> and I just thought it was funny that, I know, for, for all of Ed's shortcomings, he's Chelsea, right? So, um, yeah. Who did, I, you, who did you used to um, go to football with when you were growing up? When you were, when you, in your, when you were, I mean, you're not old now, but when you were a little bit younger, who did you go to football with? Mates or brothers or? No, I went with my dad. Well, I started off going with my brothers because uh, mm. we had season tickets in the early 90s. And then as they grew up, we didn't have them anymore. And then my younger brothers were born, so my dad couldn't go so much. So I would go with my dad on the odd occasion. But then I used to jump the train from Peterborough to London because I didn't have the money. And then I would go to the game by myself. I'd tell my parents I was in town in Peterborough. I'd like, I'm going out with my mates today. And I'd jump the train down to London and I'd go and stand outside the stadium, just listen to the crowd. Or I would try to get a ticket from a tower if I could or somehow blag my way into the stadium. So I used to do that. So I'd go by myself because growing up in Peterborough, my family were the only Chelsea fans. 
There were no right. other Chelsea fans anywhere. To get a Chelsea shirt, you you had to go to London to get it. You couldn't get a Chelsea shirt anywhere. So I used, I used to go to, to games go by myself. And stand outside the stadium and listen yeah. to the crowd. That's yeah. dedication, man. I, I used to go that. out and obviously no, no smartphones. This is like late nineties. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, mid to late nineties. I'd go and stand outside the stadium. I remember the West Stand was being rebuilt, and I'd just listen and try to work out what the score was. I try. I had a pocket radio that I try listening to. Sometimes it didn't work, and I just wanted to to be around Chelsea. There was a. I mentioned it earlier on this season when we started. Um, it's called the Old Factory. I did an episode of it with my friend Karen, and a few people may have listened to it. But I mentioned that in there that because um, it's all about the smells of a football stadium and what it was like watching Chelsea as a kid. And that's what yeah. I'm all about. It's all about culture because this is what was great about doing the piece with Johnny. And we, we spoke and we're going to meet up in a couple of weeks on the back of it because we got along so well because we believe in the same thing. And for me, the one thing I say is that I'm from a really big family. Um, my mum was Irish Catholic. There's eight of us and 10 including my parents. And going to watch Chelsea gave me a relationship with my brothers and my dad. And mm. in a big family like that, it personalised my relationship with my dad and it was such a beautiful thing. And so talking to Johnny about this, if anyone can, I implore you to go and dig it out and read it, not because I wrote it with him, but just because it's this beautiful piece about what it means to be a football fan. And Johnny said, um, you know, I had the privilege of going to watch the the football with the funniest man in England for 28 years. And since he's gone, like I miss him so much. But he talks about watching the games, but not actually watching the games and what it was like just going to football with his mates and mm. that's what's amazing about it well if you, if if Chelsea do put up a link if people follow you presumably on Twitter you'll post it and they can read it there what's your Twitter handle it's at Gary with two R's Hayes H-A-Y-E-S I did tweet the programme editor earlier uh, tweet message the programme editor earlier and he said I'm not sure if it's up yet so I'm not right. still not sure what's happening but um, yeah, if well, it doesn't we'll go Gary up follow and, Gary and, and he'll, he'll tweet it out and, and you can do that or check the check the website you know check the Chelsea official website it'll be up there at some point yeah it's a great piece and I was thinking any, anyone who isn't privileged enough to go to Chelsea games like we are so if you live in New Zealand or America so you don't get there regularly but your passion's the same as ours if you just read it I think that you get a real understanding of what it means to be Chelsea. But I think for any fan, it just means what, it, you know, it's, it's a good reflection on what it means to support a team. Cool. Let's uh, let's talk about Aston Villa. Um, after the international break, we're back in the Premier League. Um, we're looking to build on a really good start to the season. Um, and we had Villa in the late kickoff, the 5.30 kickoff on Saturday. You were at the game, Gary? Yep, watched it. Very good. And- yeah, and um, you had a look at the team. Any any thoughts about the team? Uh, when we had Mendy in goal, Chalaber, Silva, Rudiger as a back three, Hudson Adoy and Alonso as the wing backs with Kovacic and uh, Saul in the middle, Zayek Habits behind Lukaku. Few changes in there. Yeah, definitely. I think it was. Uh, I spoke to Kerry before because he messaged me and he said, "Oh, a bit of a weird team," and. Um, yeah, I just, I was like, oh, it's an international break team, isn't it? Sort of like, you know, they know they've got bigger games coming up and they thought there was just enough in the team to, to win it. I think they got off lucky, which I guess we'll get to, but I think that it shows the strength and depth of that squad despite some ropey performances, namely Saul, yeah. right? Well, let's start with, with Saul Niguez, uh, a new signing in the transfer window, coming from Atletico Madrid uh, on loan with a view to buy. A player of undoubted class, I think he proved that at Atletico, but... He came. He struggled a little bit in possession, gave the ball away, didn't look comfortable with the pace of the game. But I would say this is not unusual for players coming from La Liga, is it? This is this is a very different pace league, and it sometimes takes players from that league a little 
bit of time to, to get up with it. So we shouldn't be criticising him too harshly, should we? No, I, I don't think it's criticism that's got venom in it. It's just a criticism of just observing what happened, right? It's an observation. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think you can see when um, when we scored, we seemed to just sort of settle a little bit too much. And then um, Ollie Watkins had that effort at Mendy, made that incredible save down to his right. And then moments later, Saul gets dispossessed. And that, to me, like you said, just it smacks of a player who's unaware of the fact that you've got these players that are nippy pressing in and around you like that that doesn't necessarily happen in Spain, right? They sort of sit back and let you come up a bit more. Yeah, a lot so, of those leagues, whether it's um, La Liga or, or or whether it's the Italian league, you know, other other games where it's it's not as as uh, pressing based. I think it's always going to be a bit of a shock to the system uh, when that happens. Um, I mean, I remember Kovacic getting getting caught in possession a lot when he first joined. Um, same as Jorginho. Anyone who comes into that area, they just seem to, it seems to happen, and then they grow into it and realise that you've got a turn. You and don't be have on time it. on the ball. You just don't yeah. have time on the ball. You know, because the, you know the, the the modern Premier League way is to press really hard in midfield. So, uh, which doesn't tend to happen in, in other leagues so much. So it's uh, yeah, it was interesting to watch him. I mean, there were flashes that he looked comfortable when he when he did. Um, you know, when he did have the opportunity to look up and pass the ball, he looked comfortable. But as you say, he 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 very quickly realised he's not going to have that kind of time in the Premier League. What I would say is that you're quite right about the international break, and I think ordinarily he wouldn't have started him in this game. No, he would have probably started him in the Zenit, given him some minutes in the Zenit game, um, and bought him in gradually. I don't think he would have thrown him straight into a Premier League Saturday game. You know, if if it wasn't an international break, would he? No, I don't think he would have. And, and you see that um, I watched the highlights of match of the day after and you see what the manager said as well. He said, look, we know there's a lot of games coming up. We knew that stuff like this is normal after an international break at the start of the season. It's, it's, that's the thing that frustrates me about the international breaks is that mm. I love them because I love watching England. But Do you? Well, I don't. Yeah, I love watching it. it, it I've, it's I've so said boring, this, Gary. I've said this many times before. England's my first love, Dennis Chelsea. I'd, is I'd, it? Yeah, it really is. You yeah. weirdo. All because of Italian ninety. Yeah, you know, I, I remember being part well, of England. Yeah, t- I mean all that. I mean, I get all that. Yeah, and Euro ninety six um, and all that. But you know, it's 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 so dull. Yeah, I, I know it isn't the same as watching, but I, I still love international breaks. But it does annoy me how or frustrates me when you see a team gets going like we were. And then it's sort of you stop and then you have to start again and then it gets to October and it happens again. And then the season sort of comes into its own mid-October, right? Because then yeah. there is just a run of games where teams are playing you know, uh, consistently. But um, yeah, the, the manager made a good point, as I think is a valid point. But then I don't think a few people said that we sort of got off one because, you know, got off with one because um, Villa looked OK at times. Well, I think they started very well. I, I actually, I would say in the first half, they were the better team. I mean, I don't think there's there, there's any doubt about that. They, I mean, although we uh, took the lead um, through Lukaku in the 15th minute, and, uh, you know, an excellent goal. Um, I just think that they looked threatening throughout the whole half and we found it very, very difficult to get a foothold in the game. Yeah, I just think that... Um they had a few opportunities, but which you expect, which is what Tuchel was saying, right? He said, "Look, you expect this to happen at this stage of the season." But I think the difference under Tuchel's Chelsea and previous managers is that we're winning those games now. We're not just winning them; we're winning them comfortably. Yeah, we we getting away with a little bit as well. I mean, I, I tweeted at halftime that it was a bit of a miracle that we'd come out of that half unscathed, given the chances that they'd had and some of the errors that we made. I don't think we looked comfortable. The, the difference for me is when Jorginho came on in the second half for, for Saul. What, what did you think about that? Yeah, I'd, um, I think what helps as well is the horrendous error from um, Tyrone Mings that allowed Kovacic just to nip in. 
Well, yeah, I mean that, but but I think before that, the this, this ship looked well and truly steady the minute that Jorginho oh, came Oh, that, that's what pitch. I'm saying. But then I think going to, them going 2-0 down obviously changed it as well. So I think that there was a lot of events that sort of came together that made it. But definitely having someone in there that knows how to move the ball in the Premier League made things a lot easier, right? Because Saul really, really struggled. Are you really, to really change struggled. your mind about Jorginho? No, but I'll tell you who I'm changing my mind about. Kovacic. Okay. I've he, was, been, he was utterly superb, I thought. I've been a very vocal critic of his. Again, not right. because I'm targeting him, or, but I've just he's always disappointed me because I look at him, I think, everything you've got in your game, you should be better. And just this season, he looks it. He's on it. Like, the break, when he's, we pivots real deep in our half and then breaks forward, really breaks forward and whips that ball around to Lukaku, who's like peak Fabregas, right? Beautiful bit. Of, oh, it's absolutely beautiful. And that, I, that word pivot, I think, is really important because what we saw with Saul and um, Kovacic, there wasn't a pivot. They were very square, weren't they? They were playing alongside each other. And I think that made it very easy for, for the opposition to get beyond them. But when Jorginho and Kovacic were playing together, they were pivoting. It was a proper double six, wasn't it? One was sitting, one was going, one was sitting, one was going. And there was a, a proper pivot at all times. And, and it, it made such a difference. It allowed Kovacic and Jorginho really to play to their strengths. And, and I think as well that, that idea of the pivot with Saul, which he, he got caught with, with um, McGinn, was that he didn't open his body when he received the ball. He was really yeah. square. He was really tight. And McGinn was able to get in. Whereas Kovacic, when he receives that ball out of defence, he's on the spin already which allows yes. him to break free. And the ball through to Lukaku is great. So on to, yeah, just on the point of Kovacic is that, yeah, I, I, I called him cul-de-sac because there was so much where he would get the ball and he would just love a slalom run to no, mm. to nothing. Whereas now he seems to, I don't know if it's too cool, whether he's got used to the league, but something's clicked where now he's given the ball a lot quicker you know, he's actually breaking into space a lot better and he's being more productive. And you see that ball round to Lukaku is genius. But then to be on the, you know, on the uh, cusp of the play to put the pressure on Mings and not only do that nip in and score, I just thought it was excellent. I think he was one of our men of the match, which anyone who knows me will know that I wouldn't have been saying that anytime soon. But I don't mind holding my hands up and saying that a player is playing well when he is. And I think that Kovacic has been, yeah, been excellent this season. Come on and talk about Lukaku in a minute and his two goals. But I think it, and it would be very difficult not to give Lukaku man of the match for that performance. But I, I'm with you. I think Kovacic was man of the match. I thought he was excellent throughout. I thought he was dynamic. I thought he was intelligent. I thought his final product, by and large, was good. There was a couple of times where he gave the ball away. But generally, I think that's going to happen when you're trying to create things. Fabregas gave the ball away a lot when he was trying to create things. But I think I'm not going to put him uh, you know, in the same bracket as Fabregas, but his ability to to drive and to pick a pass and to be dynamic in midfield was, was fantastic. And if that can continue, we're going to have a real headache in midfield, aren't we, with who we pick? Yeah, definitely. And I think if Kovacic can add, I don't know, seven or eight goals to his tally this season as well, that makes it even better because I think, I know it's a double six, but you need goals still from those middle players. They need to chip in a bit. I know Jorginho does it with the penalties, but I think you do need that a bit more, even though Lukaku now is, is firing, isn't he? But... um I don't, think, was, I don't think Jorginho is going to be taking the penalties moving forward, is he, with Lukaku? Maybe not, maybe not. But just, I mean, just Lukaku's to, going to want those goals, isn't he? He's a striker that want, wants every goal he can possibly get. Yeah, but you know, you know the point I'm saying about you know the fact that there's goals in the midfield, but they come from penalties, right? Whereas I think yes, the goals from open play, yeah. that we need more from that. And that's not mm. to say that you, you throw your mind back to Chelsea of old or whatever, but I think you look at any successful team, that De Bruyne, he scores goals, right? In, in, that, um, in that Liverpool team. The Liverpool central midfielders, they score goals as well. They, they they chip in enough throughout the season where when the likes of Mane aren't doing it, 
you know, th- those other players are still getting goals. I think that was, you know, you, you see the way the game was going on Saturday, that Kovacic turned up at an important moment. He wasn't scoring when it was 2-0 or 5-0. He was scoring when it was, um, you know, 1-0. The game was on the edge a little bit. Villa had had their chances in the first half. It's not long into the second, and he's able to snip in and score that goal, which not it didn't kill the game as much, but it did give Chelsea breathing space, right? And I Absolutely. think that's important when players like that do that. Alonso's an interesting one, isn't he? You know, a few people going, well, when's Chilwell going to get a game? But it's difficult to drop Alonso at the moment, isn't it? Well, it's interesting you say that because um, Tuchel's press conference today, I was reading some of the quotes when he said that um, Chilwell is now ready. And I think he said something like, I'm paraphrasing here, so don't, you know, I'm not quoting um, the full quote, but it's, it's something like the psychological trauma of not playing for England in the summer and the, the physical side effects. He's mm. he's over it now. So I reckon he'll be starting this week and I think that he'll be eased back in because I think that in his overall game, he is a better player than Alonso. Having this conversation with my son about, uh, obviously, you know, the difference between the two players and, and obviously Chihuahua gives you so much more defensively. Um, but there was an element, I think, of, of Alonso's height at defensive set pieces, uh, which is really important, isn't it? And I thought that really was evident on Saturday. His defensive qualities in the box at those Villa set pieces was was great. Yeah, I, I think that I know that he has his moments, Alonso, and I think it doesn't help when you know Gary Neville's really tore him a new one on match, uh, Monday Night Football. But I think overall, if he's your starting wing back, especially in this system, it's you're sort of splitting hairs to moan about little bits in his game. I just think he's I think he's a good player for Chelsea. Mm. I think if you play him as an out and out left back, he really struggles and he suffers. But I, I I just look at it and just think, I know I've said Chilwell over Alonso for his all round game. But if Chilwell didn't get games this season, Alonso did, I wouldn't really be complaining either. Because I think Alonso maybe gives something different to what Chilwell does anyway in terms of his attacking threat. But I just think all round he's I think he's a bit underrated. I, I don't think he's a bad player at all. No, nor me. The other, the other side uh, was was Hudson Odoi in the right way. I, I don't know. He didn't really do it for me on Saturday. It's not really a massive criticism of him, but he gets these opportunities. He doesn't really seem to be firing at the moment. Um, what do you think? What do you what do you think about his performance? Could have scored his corner, couldn't he? Because it was going in, <laughs> weren't it? Until they put it on the bar. But yeah, I just find um, Hudson Odoi is a bit like Kovacic, right? You know what he's capable of, and you think you've got it all. So why aren't you doing it? And whether it's a case of um, you know, the fact that he's he's not playing regularly, so he's struggling because of that. Maybe he's one of these players that needs that confidence, needs that rhythm. But um he needs to do he needs to do much more. Much, much more. You you think about what's ahead of him. If he's gonna play as a right wing back, he's got Aspi and Reese James ahead of him, right? If he's gonna play in those inside forward positions, he's got Ziek, Pulisic, Werner, Mount, Havertz ahead of him. He's got a lot to do and he needs when he comes into these moments, he needs to be a lot better. He's not taking people on, is he? Which, which to me seems to be a sign of uh, a lack of confidence. Maybe I'm wrong, but when he's when he's swaggering, when he's taking players on, it really gets the crowd up, and it just wasn't doing that on Saturday. I don't know if that's instructions, whether he was told not to do it. I can't imagine it was. It just needs to kind of grab the game by the by the collar and and, and impose himself on it. Yeah, he's got the confidence as well. Like you say about the swagger, he's got that swagger. Well, has he though? Not in every game. No, but I think well. when. But you see him. He's, he knows. When he, when he, he knows does he's it. a good player. He yeah, knows he's a when, good player. When, when he turns up, when he, you know, when he, when he's, when he's in that mood, when he's got that swagger, I think he's an incredible player. But he's, too often he turns up and it's just missing a little bit for me. Uh, no, I mean, look, Risson, right, right wing back maybe isn't, isn't isn't the position. Maybe he doesn't like playing there. But you know, sometimes you just got to do the job the manager wants you to do. 
Well, exactly. You, you said about Victor Moses before, right? Yeah, Victor Moses right. was an inside forward. He was a winger. And then Conte threw him out on the right as a right wing back and he was just thrilled to be playing. And he became a phenomenal player in that position for us. Even if it only lasted for a season, it was a season that was incredible that won us the title. So I just think maybe Hudson-Odoi just need... If, I'm not saying he is upset about playing right wing back, but in this team, you get minutes, take them. Don't just yep. sit there and moan about the fact you're getting minutes, but they're not the right minutes. Just get out there and prove what you can do. Make it impossible for the manager to drop you. Absolutely. Let's just take a quick break for an ad. We'll be back after this. And we're back. Uh, Gary, we were discussing a quote from Tuchel after the game that you thought was interesting. Yeah, I, I know because we were talking about Hudson-Odoi just then before the break and um, this wasn't about Hudson-Odoi, it was about um, Barkley and um, Saar and Loftus-Cheek but he said, um, this is too cool. once you're part of this group you have to match the high expectations we have of ourselves and you have to do your duty to perform. You have to be match ready. They all are and they've put their personal situations to one side. No promises are made but they're ready to play and I'm happy for them to be part of this group. So that's what he was saying ahead of the Zenit game and I just think that if you put that into context with Hudson Odoi as well. If you're going to play, you have to be ready. And yeah, he doesn't quite look like he is. I, and and it's, a, it's a familiar story with him. It's stop, start, stop, start. But I want to get too down on him. You know, it's, it's early in the season. Uh, let, let's hope that he can grab the mantle and, and develop into the player. I mean, obviously when Rhys James comes back, Rhys was suspended for that game after being sent off against Liverpool. Uh, you do question whether Rhys is just going to slot in there. And then Hudson Odoi is going to have to take another opportunity when it comes along. So... You know, it's really up to him to, to grab these and, and show the manager what he can do. Um, the two players uh, behind Romelu Lukaku were Ziyech and Havertz, uh, obviously Pulisic, injured again. Um, what did you think of those two? I thought they were, again, a little bit quiet. I mean, both showed touches of, of, of flair and class, but didn't really impose themselves on the game. I think Havertz always looks really good when he plays with Mount. Yeah. Um I just think that they've got a good understanding and Havertz is able to go and occupy space in a different way. Ziyech, there, there was a moment in the second half um, when it was 2-0 and he, he got the ball on the halfway line. He sort of ran into the final third and he had options left and right and he, he took this really tame shot and you could see that a few of the players were a bit miffed with him for doing it and I just thought some of his decision-making wasn't great. But then again, I think Ziyech was saying about Hudson-Odoi, you know, not playing regularly. I think when Ziyech gets going, he sort of has to feel his way into a season a little bit. And I think his best games are when he's like three or four games in. And to come back after his injury when he was, I know it's pre-season, but he was looking great. Because I just think he's a really silky, suave player. And I really, really, really like him and rate him. I just think that he needs a little bit more game time to really get up and running. We're early in the season, we, you know, and, and, and both those players, are, I think, are going to offer a huge amount. Let's talk about the, uh, the back three, uh, which was much changed, wasn't it? Trevor Chalaber coming in, getting another opportunity after his amazing start to the season. Uh, Thiago Silva now fully fit and ready to go. Uh, and Antonio Rudiger looks like an, an ever-present then. Talking about crazy shots. Uh, Tony's, Tony's crazy shot early doors was, uh, you know, it made me think one of those is going to go in one day. He seems to do one again that he shoots from 40 yards. One's going to be a proper Yeboa classic, isn't it? Off the crossbar into the goal. And we're going to say it's the greatest goal ever scored at Stamford Bridge. Remember Alex? He, he used to he yeah. scored one against Arsenal as well, didn't he? Was it Arsenal or was it Liverpool? It was a free kick. Liverpool, wasn't Just it? Just yeah. drilled it. But um, yeah, he always looks like he thinks he's going to score and then he hits it and you're like, oh, 
But I think he's he's all round game. Talking to Kovacic being a change player since the new manager came in, Rudiger just looks like a world beater, doesn't he? I think I, he, he I, looks I wanted him to go. I wanted him to go. Yeah, I was thought. Look, you're you're not. I was trying to think of. I was going to say waste of space, which would be completely wrong. But I just thought you're not a Chelsea you didn't player. Think he was elite. Yeah, I just didn't. But then since then, again, I, I got no problem saying I'm wrong. And I, I was chatting to Kerry about it at the time, and then he said, oh, "I'll give him a chance, new manager." And he just seems to have his head in the right space because he, again, he's a player who's got the ability to do it. And then once they're happy, they do it right. They 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 perform and they commit. And I think now he's committed in this team because maybe he feels like he's part of it, and that defense you know, works around him and he works around the defence. Whereas before he was in and out under Lampard, he, he didn't quite know where he, you know, fitted in. Whereas I think Tuchel's come in and sort of stood by him a bit and I think he's benefited from it. So mm. I, I'm all for that. You know, no matter what's happened under a previous regime, if players improve and get better, then it helps Chelsea, right? I just think that he looks great. I think he looks really, really good this season. And Silva? Yeah, Silva. There was, there was that moment when... Um, uh, Saul was dispossessed and then Watkins went round Mendy and out of all the players there you'd expect Silva to be there and he's taken one on the chest yeah, I just think it's very I, John Terry like isn't it yeah I, I'm just gutted that we haven't had him for another like three or four years before we got him because um, mm. I think he's someone who understands what it means to be at Chelsea as well I think mm. you see all the stuff last season right when he was there in the Champions League celebrating in the stands with Mason Mount and, that was amazing yeah and, and I think it was Werner wasn't it but you, you, you see him the way he is, his attitude, his approach, you know, some uh, if Chelsea can get another year out of him beyond this year, it'd be incredible. Even if, even if he's just like JT was in his last season under Conte, if he's just someone around that Christensen's working off and other players, because I think he's got this this attitude that, you know, he really steps up and takes responsibility. And I think others around him are starting to do it with him. Yeah, and Trevor Chalabert, you know, great start to the season. Obviously, Christensen played all three games for Denmark in their international break, so he was clearly given a rest. Um, but that's going to be an interesting little scenario, isn't it, about who's going to be in that back three. Um, I mean, one thing I would say, there's going to be a hell of a lot of games this season, you know, 50-plus games. You know, these players are not going to play 50-plus games. Mason Mount may, might, but there won't be a lot more uh, of the others that will. So we will need this squad. But it's great to see... Uh, we've got so many options at the back, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's, it's strange, isn't it? Because we, what, a year to 18 months ago, there was concerns about holes in the squad and you know where this team was going and how much work needed to be done in order for us to be you know, winning things consistently again. And suddenly, it feels like overnight, but obviously it's been a longer process than that, but suddenly this squad just looks so good that you can leave out, you, know, you can leave Mount on the bench, you can leave out Christensen, but we look really strong. And I know it wasn't the best performance, but there's enough know-how and enough guile in this squad now as well that they can navigate these tricky games like this because on the back of an international break, a much-changed team, Villa is a potential banana skin, right? Absolutely. And I know know they rode their luck, but then they come out 3-0 winners. I think that just shows what this team is about now. Absolutely. And and then before we get to Lukaku, who's uh, somebody you want to talk about, uh, Edouard Mendy in goal, another couple of great saves. I mean, he's he's a player that when he came in, I was like, I'm not sure about this bloke. Who's this bloke? What's he done? Where's he come from? You know, looks a little bit iffy. But again, you know, he's grown into the role. I just thought he looked dominant at set pieces. His saves were great. He's probably got a little bit of work to do with the ball at his feet. But he's looking like a superstar signing, isn't he? Yeah, he is. And th- th- this is what I've always said about goalkeepers is that you don't need a superstar in goal. 
I know everyone goes for a superstar like Messi or someone like that in attack. Or don't want to put wanna, Messi in goal, mate. Yeah, but I, or you want to get you know people like, oh Pogba in midfield and stuff. And when it comes to keepers, I don't think you need you don't need that star value. You just need someone who is consistent and reliable. And Mendy's come in and really shown that because I think that we had Courtois who was like this superstar wannabe who I think regressed as a goalkeeper when he when he came in and started playing for us consistently. And then when that, but has um, now progressed. To be fair, yeah. But then maybe that's because he's his attitude as well, though. You know, yeah. Again, maybe. it comes down to he didn't really want to be at Chelsea in the end, did he? And then Kepa was obviously iffy, and then you know he's Panic gone through. He's gone, yeah, he's gone through. He's gone through, but he was like meant to be this superstar. And then Mendy comes in completely off the radar. Some great scouting from someone. Uh, whether Czech was heavily involved in that, you know, we don't know completely. But and he's just been that those safe hands you want, right? And yeah. I don't think you need superstars everywhere, but you just need reliable, consistent players, and he's certainly that. Let's finish off by talking about Romelu Lukaku. Um, first game back at the bridge uh, since signing his uh, new contract with Chelsea. Obviously, he came here disappointing uh, start to his Chelsea career. We shipped him off on loan uh, to West Brom um, and to Everton, and then he went abroad, went to Manchester United, uh, ended up at Inter Milan. He's been all over the place, but he comes back and he now looks the absolute real deal, doesn't he? Yeah, he does. And um, what I love about him as well is to bring it back to culture, he, he gets it, doesn't he? And I, I think you see so many players score goals and run off kissing a badge. And you sort of you can see through it. You can see it's a facade. But with him, you know, he scores. He, he does the worst knee slide because uh, that would have been in front of you, right down your end. Um, Absolutely, yeah. But and but you see him laying on the floor, eyes closed, because he's soaking it in because he's got that moment. He said after the game, "I've wanted to do that since I was 11 years old." And because and he used to really annoy me before he came back. He used to really really annoy me because whenever he played against Chelsea, whether it's for Everton or Man United, he was such an ass about it that I. I just thought, if you're meant to be this Chelsea fan, how could you be that? And maybe it was because he felt that the club had not treated him right or whatever, and he had his dream killed, so he sort of was relishing getting the goals against us, you know. But I think since he's come back, he's, he's said all the right things. He loves the fans singing his name. When he scored the second down our end, he's leaning on the flag, just soaking it up. I just think it's great to see, and I think seeing him score goals is as good as seeing you know Chaloba and Mount score goals because he, he's Chelsea. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. And his first goal was just a classic Lukaku bullying move, wasn't it? Where he received a beautiful pass, as you said earlier, from Kovacic, back to goal, uh, one way, the other way, and just a you know just a clinical finish. I mean, he's a killer in front of goal, isn't he? The the movement off the ball is incredible. Yeah. I think that's, he doesn't get enough praise for it. You know, the the way he moved, the, the run he makes for Kovacic, and maybe there's a bit of understanding developing with him as well, because he said on Match of the Day that the manager's instructions were, when we get the ball, I want to break real quick. And you see the moment Kovacic turns, Lukaku's gone. There's a lovely shot of it from behind the shed. Right. And you see he, he just peels his run off, goes wide to give him that space to cut back in. A- excellent, excellent goal. And I think that not enough people are talking about it because Ronaldo scored a tapping. I think, you know, I think it goes under under the radar a bit with Lukaku. And maybe if it does, it's probably a good thing because um, I, I know he gets the praise, but I think that goal should have been getting a lot more lavished on it, at least. Mm. And then his second goal, obviously, in the 94th minute. Uh, we'd already won the game by then, but uh, I mean, he made it look so easy. Um, I mean, I don't know whether 
Villa made it easy for him or whether he just made it look easy. It was one, it was an odd one, really, because, you know, he, he was so quick onto it and the ball was rifled into the top. I mean, just a, just a brilliant goal. I just feel he could go on and score dozens and dozens of goals for us this season. He's getting over 30, isn't he? I think he's getting in all competitions. He's getting over thirty. I think he, in in open play, he's going to get over thirty. He's on three you now, do. and I know. Yeah, I think he's on three now, and that's just you know after three games, right? I just think you look at the way he's playing and the, the football we play. If if we had played with him last season, I think we would have won the league last season. Mm. Because the amount of chances we missed, the games we couldn't kill off, he's he's going to kill teams off for us, and I think he's going to score so many goals. Some decent strikers in the in the Premier League this year, aren't they? Well, they said on Match of Day, do you think this is the, the best set of strikers we've had in the Premier League ever? Right, I didn't see it. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 a, it's a, it's a valid question, I think. You know, when you look at Ronaldo, you look at Kane, look at Lukaku. I mean, I think the golden boot race this year is going to be something else. And I hope that uh, Romelu's, Romelu's uh, up there or thereabouts. Um, and it would be great if other players, Havertz we know can score goals. Timo Werner's another player that we haven't came on as a sub, but we haven't seen a lot of him. I'm sure he'll play uh, tomorrow night, Tuesday night uh, against Zenit. Um, and we'll see as the season develops how, how it all unfolds and what Tuchel does with rotation, who his untouchables are and all of that. But we're currently sitting after four games uh, on 10 points uh, with an eight goal goal difference. Uh, that's level at the top with Manchester United. Uh, we're sitting pretty. So we will uh, stop this uh, part one of this week's Chelsea podcast uh, here and we will be back later in the week with a preview of the Spurs game. Thanks very much, Gary. Speak to you soon. Before we go, Andy, can I just ask you one question? Sure. Sorry to jump in when you've already signed off. What have you made of all the nonsense about the Mason Mount banner? I what, saw what, 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 what nonsense? Oh, I, I sort of walked into it earlier. I was on social media and I just saw loads of people complaining that the, the Matthew Harding dared have a banner of him. I was like, what? So now I think there's this rival or this conflict between fans where they're saying, oh, you've got too many homegrown players that you're giving you know, um, praise to. What about everyone else? And Where are you like, seeing what? this stuff, Gary? And which, which particular yeah, rabbit hole are you going down? I, 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 I literally went on there and I saw Tess Derry had um, put up a post saying, yeah, we don't do enough for the non-English players. And obviously she'd put up the banners of Hazard and everyone else. And I just saw that that's what I was asking. So I, I thought I'm not going to dig too much into this because it's just pointless. But I think there's been a bit of um, annoyance that we dared have a Mason Mount banner flying over to Matthew Harding before the game. Uh, I, honestly, I don't really have an opinion of it. It looked quite pretty from where I was standing. I mean, if if people want to do that, I, I think it's nice, and I think it's nice to show your support of individual players. And yeah, it looked good. Um, and it's all part of the match day atmosphere. I honestly don't get involved in those arguments. If somebody wants to organise a banner and the fans are happy for it and it goes across their heads and it looks nice on the ground, I'm all for it. You know, it's not something I'm particularly going to lose sleep over. Yeah, it's so petty because even if it was Jorginho, I'd be like. I'm not his biggest fan, but he's a guy who deserves some praise for what he's done at Chelsea, right? You owe for I men's s- player of the year, Jorginho, that Jorginho. <laughs> the one that Tuchel hates, according to you. <laughs> I didn't say he hates him. I said he <laughs> fucking hates him. <laughs> Explicit. Explicit, Chelsea fans. We'll have to Sorry. put a little E on it now. Gary, that's naughty. Um, we are going to sign off here. And uh, thank you very much, Gary. And uh, me and Gary will be back later in the week with a preview of the Spurs game. See you then. Bye. If you'd like to advertise on or sponsor this show, contact us at playbackmedia.co.uk. Sports Social Podcast Network.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.